At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Sorry to disturb you at this hour, but I have something you want. A new TV? It broadcast programs no one had ever seen. Wednesday at 9, don't miss an all-new episode of The Silencer of the Lambs. Then one night, Roy and Helen Nabel got sucked in and discovered that hell <laughs> is one TV show after another. Let's welcome our new contestants, Roy and Helen Nabel. And they're starring in every show. I've watched enough wrestling to know one thing. It's all fake. No one ever gets it. Not fake. Not fake. So the object, the object, Mr. Pierce, is to kill them before they reach the end. Oh, my God. We're cartoons. I am not a mouse. I'm Helen Nabel. I have two beautiful children. Mom? Our parents are trapped in television. Now, they can't go home. They can only switch channels. Where did he go? Hey, lady, watch out! And every series is a nightmare. That's entertainment. Because Satan is the sponsor. Okay, everybody, head spins. Very good, very nice. Well, time to rock and roll. This comedy from hell. That'll save her. Stay tuned. Where have you been? Welcome to They Call This a Movie, testing the strength of friendships one terrible movie at a time. Subscribe to podcasts on iTunes and other podcast services by searching They Call This a Movie. We are part of the Main Damey Network. To find more from us, check out the website, themaindamey.com, or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Main Damey. We are also now a proud member of Geek Fives Nation. You can find them at gbnation.com. Welcome back to They Call This a Movie. This is Anthony Delvecchio. With me, as always, is Dan Aquino and Mark Meyer. Say hello, gentlemen. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Why was this TV yellow in this movie? I, it's been something I've been thinking about. Wait, the the magic TV? Yeah, it's like because it's from it hell. It was the '90s. I mean, I would. It's I, a TV from a hell. hell. What's TV, the last? What's the? I, what's I, the I, last I color you'd want red. it to be? Is yellow? Oh, yeah. <laughs> red. I don't. I'd have a red TV. I'd have a red TV before I have a yellow TV. That's true. So, so you wait. You're more concerned about the color of the TV and not the gigantic satellite. That they they were somehow able to fit in a, ma- a minivan? It's the 90s. That's what satellite dishes look like. The, that thing took up... That was as big as a house. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, that's how you get good reception. 
Now, well, of course, but now think about it. That only works if they have a big enough backyard. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So the devil's flaw is plan, or the devil's plan is flawed. Spike ain't going to the urban areas. Right. Right. <laughs> so so he only preys on suburban deadbeats, I guess. And I guess houses that have a lot of space facing south. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know if that's a thing with satellites. It just seems. <laughs> yeah, that is that is true. All satellites face south. <laughs> I honestly don't know if that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's other departments in hell that take care of the the people that don't have enough space for a giant satellite dish. So, so it's classes. Yeah, I mean, in a way, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we figured out the problem with this movie right off the get-go. <laughs> You're welcome. Cancel this movie. You can't make this movie today. You couldn't. No, you couldn't. <laughs> it's terrible. As soon as Although, that satellite dish gets put down, somebody would be like, what the fuck is that? But but at the end, there is a person of color in charge of hell. So True. That, that is, is pretty... The, uh, the, the, the hell network, yeah. So that, that is very progressive. I think it's technically hell vision. Is, is that what they call I couldn't... Just television in general. I, I they had like two I thought they had like two or three different brand names so I couldn't quite pinpoint what the name of the network was <laughs> entirely. I mean there were 666 channels with in 900 lines of resolution so yeah. <laughs> I I was really bummed out because you know like married with children I liked married with children growing up and I was hoping that that would be one of the gags. And I was hoping the gag would just be married with children, <laughs> you know, because that that is hell. Yeah. But no, they they went with the unmarried with children. I was like, well, that's not really, you know, I, I get it, but yeah. it's not as is it, it didn't hit. Yeah, it's one of those gags that they just didn't have time for and they wanted to get it in at the end. But before we fully get into this week's movie, gentlemen, what have you watched this week? Uh, I watched a couple documentaries. We uh, we watched the last blockbuster. Okay. Which was really good. I enjoyed that. And I watched The Power of Grayskull, the, the He-Man documentary. Okay. And I also watched a Matthew Broderick movie called that's, Election. It's because we told him to go fuck himself last week, right? Yes, that's why. I, maybe that's, that's, like, subconsciously, that's why I picked that movie. Well, you did watch <laughs> all those Dane Cook movies for no reason one time. <laughs> well, that was for... No that reason, quote-unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, for some reason, yeah, I, I was laying in bed, and this movie, it called to me for whatever reason. And then there was a, there was actually something kind of interesting in this movie. Do you guys remember Chris Klein? Yep. Remember that guy? He was a thing. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah, and, you know, he was really, he was a he played, like, the jock, the dumb jock in it, but he was, like, super sweet in it. And I, I wondered, what, what happened to Chris Klein, right? Because I feel like he was the like the RC Cola of Josh Hartnett's. <laughs> I think the same thing happened to Chris Klein, as did every member of the American Pie cast. What happened to Tara of... Reid? What happened to Mina Suvari? <laughs> what happened to Sean William Scott? What happened to Jason Biggs? It's just... We turned a page into a new century and we left them behind. <laughs> Sean William Scott still got some work in the like later 2000s. At yeah, least. his his clock ran out around 2009. That's fair. Right, cop out was kind of. Eh. Yeah, and then Jason Biggs he hitched his wagon to the Orange Is the New Black 
star and pissed everybody off for like three seasons because he was horrible in it. He was a victim of his own Twitter. Right? Oh yeah, people hated that he like would live tweet The Bachelor or something like something that. Like that. Imagine that. That's what you get. That's what you get axed for. <laughs> like all the stupid shit you say, and then it's like you you ruin The Bachelor. That's how they get you. <laughs> but that that is very on par for America. Yeah. You watch anything else? I believe. No, I think that was it. Okay. What about you, Mark? I actually watched something this week. <gasps> uh, <laughs> well, wonders never cease. Yeah. No surprise to you. It was uh, In the Heights, the Lin Manuel Miranda. Oh, wow. Did you go yeah. to the theaters to see this? No, HBO Max. Oh, HBO Max. Okay. So, wait, yeah. why did you say no surprise to us? Because it seemed like Anthony was surprised. I was surprised. <laughs> and I was well, surprised. I, I didn't realize it was on HBO Max. That was my surprise. He, he was surprised that I went to a theater to see it. It's, yeah, so my my one main review of it, um, it's great. I, I Two and a half hours flew by. It was ridiculous, just like Hamilton's three hours went by. Is that you can really tell that this was Lin-Manuel Miranda's first try at writing a musical. Because okay. there's like moments where it doesn't flow as well as Hamilton, you know, or or even as well as some, and some of the songs aren't as good as even the stuff in Moana and, and things like that. But the story itself, you could tell how personal some of it was because they had to update some of the stories because it was written in like he started writing it in 1999 and it came out in 2008. So a lot of things have happened in, in, in the Latinx community <laughs> since that moment. You know, the Dreamers, DACA, all that stuff, and the things that happened over the last few years. So they had to include all that stuff in it to to upgrade it. So some of that stuff felt a little stilted because it wasn't in the original music. But was name Anthony Ramos, who who plays Lin-Manuel Miranda's role uh, as Yunavi, is, is really good. He was, he was the right actor to sort of give it... If this movie would have came out last year, I think it would have gotten a lot more opening weekend just because it would have hit right around the time Hamilton was coming out on Disney Plus, you know, because it was scheduled in the same time period. It's just a fun movie, mixing all the types of different Latin music together. And they do a one big thing where each country's sort of flavor of that music is sort of mashed together into a scene. If you don't like musicals, you're probably not going to like it. It's one of those where most of the dialogue is music. And then there's also a uh, a brief moment where uh, Jimmy Smith sings. So oh, if, no. you, if you really like, let's just say better than Russell Crowe. Uh, okay. <laughs> the way he sang in the movie, he sounds fine, but compared to everyone else around him, they're ridiculously good. But the parts where he was not singing, the acting. He, but yeah, I recommend it. I don't know if it would have been better in theaters, in a full theater, you know, without without covid but it, it's definitely worth the watch and and doesn't feel as long as the the length would make it seem before you start the movie okay yeah. and as for me i watched a new movie too we watched cruella the Ooh. disney live action version of 101 dalmatians i gotta say it might be the best disney live action movie they've done so far it's a lot of fun it's not great i mean if you want to sit here and say well, was there even a reason to have this kind of origin story? Probably not. But you know what? Emma Stone's really good in it. She's really fun in it. She chews the scenery like a motherfucker. Emma Thompson's really good in it as the the, the antagonist. There is a weird, just so much needle drops and like pop music, which is a little weird. But I enjoyed myself with it. I gotta be honest. Yeah, I'm surprised. Um, yeah, I'm waiting for that to come free on Disney+. Plus. 
Yeah, the the wife sprung for the premiere access. So I I heard maybe I shouldn't give it away, but the reason as to why Cruella, you know, becomes she's a very famous. I would say she's a very famous Disney villain, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, to get her own movie. But obviously her big thing is she she kills animals for for outerwear. So the reason why I found it to be a tad ridiculous is it is it as ridiculous as I I've heard? It seems kind of like happenstance. It's not so much. It's it's a little forced in terms of getting the Dalmatians in there, and it feels more like just an Easter egg of it. Like it's really more about Emma Thompson's role in the whole situation more than it is the Dalmatians. I'll say that. Okay. Yeah. I I do want to see that movie because I've heard very good things. Yeah. And the the Disney live action movies are terrible. I've yeah. hated pretty much all of them. I would say Jungle Book was probably the most solid besides this one. Yeah. It was kind but, of boring. But I don't have any allegiance to the original one either. So sure. I don't really remember the original one. Yeah, but the other ones have been pretty bad. Cinderella was okay, but forgettable. Yeah. I, I again like. I don't think Cinderella needed to... None of these need to be retold, no, by the no. way. But, you know... If you're holding on to the, the rights to it, then it does, though. Well, That's capitalism, they, baby. Do they ever lose the rights? Eventually, yes. Really? Technically. Oh, it's like I think Disney has ruined copyright laws. Yeah, they, they the took world. over. I think they figured out that they still hold, hold the rights to them, but I'm pretty sure that's the reasons. And they've figured out that if they... It's something to do with also how close they are to the original scripts from the animated versions. That if they don't have to repay anybody to write a script, so they save money that way. It's all money, baby. Oh, that's what I heard about that. Like the 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 writers of the original Aladdin were super pissed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's because they changed it just enough, right, where they didn't need to really pay them. Yeah. So the so people in the audience might say. Do we really need this? And the answer for the audience is no. But audience, a little secret, it don't matter what you want or what you don't want. It's what's going to make people money. That's capitalism. Yes, and and it always makes money. Yeah, exactly. They're going to send it over to China if they don't make their money here. They don't make their nut here. Send it to China and they'll make their nut there. That's why Mulan probably still made bank too. And it it cracks me up because you'll hear, you know, People like us will bitch and moan about like, oh, these don't need to be remade. And we're not the only ones. But again, these movies will just kill at the box office. And, you know, I I feel like a lot of people who do say this doesn't need to be remade still go and see it. Yeah, this is one thing, too. And I was thinking about this because I was I was thinking about it while after I had watched it. I feel like this conversation really only comes gets a full head of steam and female centric movies because it's this and another movie that got this kind of ire was little women when it came out in 2019 interesting another adaptation of little women and then on the flip side we how how many versions of batman do we get Uh, i hope the next version we get is him going down on on somebody (laughs) that'd be great we got it that and we got it for all of a week when joker came out and then everybody wound up loving it Everyone oh, yeah. gave it a fucking Oscar nominations and wins. Well, he, he, he Everybody won forgot about it. Yeah. yeah. And, now, <laughs> and do we need a joke, a second joke, a new Joker movie? No. We did not. But nobody, nobody says that anymore. Now, 
but also one of the parallels, because I think you're right. I do think it's probably, and it maybe no one has data on it, but you're probably right knowing how our society is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want to delve into that. That's not what we're here for. Nope. But I, I was also curious because, you know, a new Guardians of the Galaxy movie is coming out. Mm-hmm. And you got a lot of people who don't like Chris Pratt now, yeah. right? That movie's going to make fucking bank. You mm-hmm. know it's going to make bank. And I wonder if those people who are on Twitter saying, oh, well, you know, Chris Pratt's not a good dude, blah, 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 whatever, secretly go to see these movies regardless, yeah. you know? I, there's got to be a bunch of them. Sure. It's a, and at the very least, it's probably a silent, a, a, a loud minority, really. It's a loud yeah. minority of people on Twitter being like, all oh, right, Chris Pat hasn't disavowed his church, blah, 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 as opposed to the 400, mil, 400 million people in the United States, right? 300, yeah. something like that, yeah. I think we're like 400 million of the people oh. that are going to watch that movie, yeah. basically. We might, we might be slightly under that now after the last year. Ouch. That's dark. Feel free to cut that. It made me wonder because you know a lot of people will talk a big game and then, but it's like oh, but you know, Baby Groot or I like so and so, so I'm not gonna let that bother me. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. a lot of people feign social justice, I guess. Yeah, I think there is some posturing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word, posturing. There's a lot of posturing, but. Yeah, I, I I didn't mean for it to get serious here. Well, but I was just curious. Hopefully we don't get canceled for this. But um, I think that's all we watched this week. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to listen to some ads so we can pay those bills. And we'll be right back. And welcome back. Now it's time to get into this week's movie. And this week was my pick. And I picked a little movie that I had seen probably a half dozen times in my life before this. It was a staple on HBO when I was a kid. So I picked Stay Tuned, the 1992 film starring the late, great John Ritter. Gentlemen, where are you coming from with Stay Tuned? I had never seen this movie. I never even heard of this movie. Didn't know it existed until uh, a couple days ago. But it was silly. It was definitely 90s. This <laughs> this movie screamed 90s. Holy shit. But I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty cool. It's an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. It, it reminded me of uh, like a really cheesy B-horror movie, I think, with like Terror Vision. Terror Vision, yep. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of that. Obviously, it's different genres. But I like the cast in this movie. Yeah, John Ritter was really good. Pam uh, Dwarber, I think her name is. Dwarber. Dauber. She's Mindy, right? More from Mork and Mindy. Yep. Yeah, she was good in this. She was a babe in this. She looked great. Yeah. And she she was definitely out of John Ritter's league in this <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. yeah, I thought this was a, a lot of fun. And again, I I it wasn't great, but it was very silly and it's it's a good cheesy movie. Sure. Mark, what about you? Yeah. I had also never seen it before, but I was aware of it, probably from walking around Blockbuster more than anything. But I've never seen it. I agree 100% with Dan. The, the movie feels very 90s, down to the fact that he's wearing a Seattle Supersonics hat. Um, <laughs> despite the fact that I don't even know if they say it's set in Seattle. Like, it's it's such an odd choice for the night. Like, you know, he they're does, like, we can't do bowls. He does Let's mention do he does mention That's, that they're from Seattle, Washington. Okay. When he's about to get his head chopped off. Oh, okay. Then that makes more sense. I just thought it was one of those things where bulls would be too obvious. You know, what other cool 90s team can we give them? 
I had fun watching it. You know, John Ritter is 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 pretty good at making you want to watch him when he's on screen. Like one of those things where it's like, all right, this is e- either something silly is going to happen or, you know, a good joke's going to come or something. But I think the one thing that probably hit me while watching this today is there were a lot of maybe jokes and references and things they said that I just don't, I just didn't get. A lot of the major stuff I got, obviously. But, you know, the French Revolution thing and all that stuff, maybe I just didn't have in my head 90s television at that moment that wasn't anything, you know, short of sitcoms and stuff like that, being only seven, eight years old around the time this movie was coming out. But, yeah, yeah, overall, a lot better than than I thought going in. I thought it was going to be one of these things that would have been of its time in that it didn't age well. But mm-hmm. they stayed away from a lot of that stuff, it seemed like. Sure. Yeah, I find this movie super charming. It's darker than, I don't know, there's some dark mo- dark comedy moments yeah. in this movie. With uh, <laughs> One of my favorite jokes in this movie is is different strokes. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's one of the jokes that hits so well for me. And it's just, it, this movie's PG. And yeah. I, I think one of the problems with this movie is that it played to an audience that probably didn't really exist because it's pg it's very family it's it's a family friendly movie in essence but it's also some dark dark humor that are gonna go right over the kids heads i love this movie when i was a kid and and to be honest with you it holds up john river ritter is so is so dorky charismatic in this movie like towards the end of it when the very last scene there was a flash of him that just like when he's teaching at the the fencing school, there's a flash of him, and then it was just like it clicked for me. It was like, oh, that's why he was picked to be Zach Braff's dad in Scrubs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, he's it's a like salesman that, too. It's like that moment was like there was just a a, a smile or a smirk, and like, oh, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. There it is. But. Yeah, the, there was one one thing I saw in the trivia that they they approached Mike Myers and Dana Carvey to do cameos in it for the uh, Dwayne and Garf, and they couldn't do it because they were they were actually filming the actual movie Wayne's World, the the, the first one. And I was just thinking, man, that would have been such a great moment yeah. <laughs> in this movie if that if that was those two guys. That's also a, f- a fun scene too. That makes me that scene makes me laugh. But there is. The one moment that makes this movie to me is the 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 Three's Company. Yeah. The Three's Company joke. It's so perfect and they hold on to it until like the the last 15 minutes of this movie. Yep. But it's just so obvious and it's so great when it it's so rewar- it's such a rewarding joke when it fi- when it finally comes across and yeah, I lo- I love this movie. This movie totally hold up held up for me. It's a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. It was yeah. th- this movie played. So there's like three movies that like used to play on HBO all the time. And I've probably seen them each half dozen times. It's this movie. It's another Jeffrey Jones movie. Mom and Dad Save the World or Save the Universe, whatever it's called. Mom and Dad Save the World. And Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Three movies from around the same era. And they're just like on HBO because HBO didn't really have anything to fill their schedule with back then. So those, this is one of those movies that I've seen a whole bunch of times. Yeah, Great. I think I think the PG rating helps with having it not be problematic. Mm-hmm. You know? But they, they curse too in this. She, I, I meant like making like references or things that wouldn't play in 2021. Sure. 
But I was yeah. surprised because I, I figured it was PG-13 because um, Pam Dauber calls Mrs. Gorgon in the wrestling match a bitch twice. <laughs> My three sons of bitches. That's right. <laughs> Someone calls somebody a bastard. Perfect 90s cursing in a P- that still gets a PG rating. Um, and, and this is another movie that we covered with a very weird hip-hop cameo. Yeah. Salt yeah. and Pepper. And it's a full-on cameo. Yeah. That's a full song. I would yeah. love to have known the approach to them in this. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, like Tupac being in... What was the name of that movie? Don't... Nothing But Trouble. Nothing But Trouble. Like, Tupac being in that, very out of place. Way more out of place than here. Because at least they had the the whole MTV gag. HTV. Yeah. Oh, sorry, HT. Right? H- well, yeah. So, <laughs> I like, I get that. But it, at the same time, like we're—I guess were they one of the biggest draws, or was that the biggest draw they could get? And I, I, I was 92, also, I think this is their heyday, right? I would imagine, right? And they were big in the early '90s. And also, there there was a part of me that was hoping, because you know they they have the gag. John Ritter looks hilarious in in his getup. <laughs> and I, I was hoping, I was like, this would be hilarious. If he just fucking busted out dancing with the backup dancers and he just knew how to dance. But, you know, they they did the whole shtick. He's, you know, fish out of water. Mm-hmm. But then at the end, he does like a little bit of a he breaks it down a little bit. And I was like, OK, yeah. so they, they saved it there. I thought that was funny. But yeah, it, just, it was an interesting I feel like this movie definitely took advantage of being in a, a, a television universe. Uh, definitely. Right? You, yeah. you get the cartoon universe, you get the black and white, you, you get a whole spectrum. And I like that, like, they didn't just stick to maybe one or two genres, you know, mm-hmm. you, you got the, you start out with the, the game network and yeah, they, they built upon it. They didn't just cheap out. Yeah. What was your favorite parody? Oh, my favorite. Par- I, I didn't love the Wayne's World one as much. I thought I thought it, that was okay, but then it, I felt like it maybe went on a little too long. Okay. Man, my favorite parody. But if that was if that was Mike Myers and Janet <laughs> yes. <Dana> Carvey, <laughs> it would have been so much better, easily, yeah. easily so much better. But they, I thought for a second that was Dana Carvey. It sounded yeah. just like him, so I, I had to look it up. I thought the 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 cartoon world was pretty good. Because and I, I like how they had all the tropes where mm-hmm. the you know the house burns down but he can't get out of the the mouse door yeah and how he solves it is he writes a way to like Acme and he gets a robot dog to fight <laughs> the robot cat so they they really stuck true to you know the the merry the merry melodies uh, Looney Tunes for for all you kids out there who have no like merry melodies what the fuck is that <laughs> that sequence was supervised by Chuck Jones it looks just like. Yeah. Old school, uh, old school Looney Tunes. Uh, that was really cool. I, I thought it was a, a neat little callback to the to the beginning when he's fencing, mm. and they had that as the the big climax. I don't really have a f- again. I thought the Married with Children one would have been funnier if they just kept it with as Married with Children. But yeah, I, I don't remember all of them. They're, they yeah. because they really go to lot. town. Yeah, they go to town with it. Mark, did well, you have one that stuck out for you, even if it was just like a for a joke for a joke's sake? Well, the for a joke for a joke's sake, the different strokes is obviously the <laughs> so good the winner. 
I quite enjoyed. Um, I'm sitting here thinking about it, and I, I like the the film noir thing just because how they didn't just have him be cool with the gun, mm-hmm. like just like had, like going, oh yeah, I know how this thing works, and just obviously a person that would never have done that before would have no idea how to put you know the the holster on or even know how to properly ha- put a gun in his waistband and stuff. So that whole moment and the slight reveal that the one character we meet earlier ends up being the mob boss because he's so happy that his wife's dead um <laughs> murray was, murray was was really good and fit that 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 aesthetic perfectly that joke just because they i as people know listening to this i, I love a good callback and just bringing murray back for that moment was is what made it stand out to me as a whole segment if we're taking the set pieces um mm-hmm. as they were not just those little quick clips as they're going through the channels Sure. There was one little moment in that film noir that just made me smile is when he after he punched out the three people or so, he like he hit hurts his hand yeah. and he like hot, tries to hide the fact. I, I thought that was such a it was a, a simple little touch, but it was just kind of just like I said, that dorky charisma that John Ritter yeah. had. Yeah, and something only he could pull off. Yeah. For that. You know what I wish this movie didn't have? The kids. I a distraction. Thought- I, I thought it, the movie would have been totally fine if it was a a rekindling marriage story mm-hmm. where Ritter is basically a loser, but he he's married to a total boss and he's he just uses television as his you know pretty much the same steps the same beats that the movie has, but. I guess yeah, you need the kids because well, I don't know why you need the daughter so much. She really she's just there to say like random '90s quips, mm-hmm. right? Like you dingbat or you dweeb, dweebzoid. Oh, uh, so I've written these down because I made special mention of it. She calls him a dweebnik. Dweebnik. There we go. <laughs> and a pushead. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And I've then heard that. she threatens him that he's pizza toppings. Uh, that one I didn't quite understand. I don't know either. But okay. Well, I just, I, yeah, I don't know why you need that. No. Uh, but yeah, because I thought it would have been cool if it was like they had to rely on each other to get out and not the sure. kids. I don't disagree. It doesn't I, ruin it. Yeah, I think there, there's a lot of cutting back and forth between them and the TV and and the kids, and the kids really don't play any part into the story until the very end, and it's for ten seconds. So you could probably figure out a way to not have them play a role at it at all. And, you know, they were at their friend's house all weekend, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it, I think it just it has a much stronger message. I, I know he goes back for her at the end. Yeah. But I think it would have been cool if they just completed it on their own mm-hmm. the first time. You know, they show that the wife is more than capable of handling herself right in the, the wrestling match. Yep. She single handedly wins that for them. Yeah, I, I thought that would have been cooler. But again, was it enough for me to say, like, this movie sucks? No. I mean, <laughs> again, it's a, it's a family comedy, essentially. Yeah. And and I think the PG was kind of put there prior to PG meaning PG. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like all dogs go to heaven having a G. And I don't know if that movie's a G just because it's <laughs> a cartoon dog. There's some pretty scary visuals in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Sure. So it, it was one of those things like, yeah, you know, just slap a PG on it. It's 1992. <laughs> These kids are smoking these days. Right. Mortal Kombat <laughs> hasn't come out yet. 
So stay tuned for 1992 is directed by Peter Hyams, who directed 2010, the year we make contact, the relic running scared and time cop. Yeah. Stars, John Ritter, Pam Dauber, Jeffrey Jones, David Tom, Heather McComb, Bob Dishy, Joyce Gordon, Eugene Levy, Eric King, and Don Kalfa has an IMDb score of 6.2 and a Rotten Tomato score of 47%. Budget, $25 million. Box office, 10.7. Did not make its money back. You guys want to get into the plot? Let's do it. Okay. All right, Stan, what do you got for us? I'm going to give a quick shout out to our good friend, Tia, and her weekly podcast that she does with her friend Brittany called The Top 10 with Tia. It's a weekly podcast where she and her friend discuss top 10 lists. Uh, they have a lot of good lists on there. You could check her out at Geek Vibes Nation and also on Twitter at TC underscore Stark. And she's also the head writer for Geek Vibes Nation, with whom we are uh, a proud member of. So you could go while you're checking us out there. Check her out as well. Great. And we are going to take a quick break. And you guys are lis- going to listen to some messages from friends of the podcast. So we will be right back. Hey everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Oh, hi. Didn't see you there. It's me, George, from the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least. We've talked about groundbreaking classics like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Alien, but we've also got a lot of great ones coming up, including some very fun guests like Len Kabazinski of Swamp Zombies and Red Letter Media fame, Caroline Williams, the star of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and Chase Williamson from John Dies at the End. So make sure you're subscribe to the best little horror house in philly and i'll see you boils and ghouls over there and welcome back now it's time to get into the plot for stay tuned we open on an elderly married couple as they watch doogie hauser md we know the man murray is put upon by his wife as she complains that he didn't put enough butter on the popcorn the doorbell rings and a man in a hat and overcoat tells murray's sidle bomb i think it's side bomb that he has a great offer for him we then come back inside and the wife goes to investigate where her husband went and finds popcorn bowl dropped on the ground and then a light flashes and she screams and then we cut to credits. I saw myself, like, I, I kept thinking this is me in 30 years. <laughs> There's not enough pop, or butter on the popcorn, Dan. Oh. <laughs> well, hopefully it's not 30 years. Did you get your wife sucked into a television and stomped on by a Godzilla-like monster? That, that kind of makes me think... If you're going to get sucked into TV now, it's probably better than it was in the 90s, no? Probably. Right. You'd probably just, like, wind up on, like, a Chicago 911 show or something. Like Love Island or some shit like that, you know? Or I guess if you get voted off of Love Island, you're, you probably, like, drown or die or something. Right. The Bachelor. Yeah. That'd be fun to be in The Bachelor just get <laughs> mercilessly heckled. <laughs> We then open on another house, and a teen boy named Daryl Nabel narrates in VO. He talks about how his family is pretty average, except for one fateful night. 
He also mentions that his dad loves to watch TV and watches more than your average person. His dad, Roy, played by John Ritter, watches an old swashbuckler movie and practices his fencing while he watches. His wife, Helen, Pam Dauber, is frustrated by Roy's constant obsession with television and tries to get him to come to bed, but to no avail. He's he's not fucking. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> now, is that the reason, like, later on, she makes mention of that, right? I'm going to find a man who will like, rather would rather touch me than... The remote. Yeah. So, yeah, John Ritter's, you know, he, he he's pulling a Batman. Yeah. <laughs> so you say John Ritter's a hero? <laughs> yeah, that's what he's, yeah, that's what he's doing. Helen's ready. Helen's ready to go. She's oh, she's ready. <laughs> she straddles him in all, right? Yeah. John Ritter, you fool. Yeah. He's worried about double overtime. Well, t- to be fair, the Supersonics weren't going to be around forever, so... <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get it while it's good <laughs> That's sure. Daryl then mentions that he thinks there's better things to do with TV like making money from it and then we see a scene where he manages to tap into the cable and broadcast a live stream of himself trying to sell videotapes of his sister kissing her boyfriend which he taped in secret which is super creepy it's extortion <laughs> Yeah. this also awakens the ire of one of the neighbors so I guess he sent that out to the whole neighborhood Daryl then tells us his mom is a pretty big deal in the advertising department of some vitamin company, while Roy is a sad sack plumbing supplies salesman. We then see a few scenes of Roy being a sad sack plumbing supply salesman. Then he comes home and gets chased by the neighbor dog. Although, that house is really nice for a sad sack plumbing supply salesman. Well, I think she's probably the breadwinner. Sure, but you can't get you can't get that house anymore on one income. Oh, especially in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's costing you a lot. I- that's the most 90s of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> a four-bedroom house. Man, that guy's really struggling. <laughs> Raising two kids. Poor bastard. <laughs> well, I wonder, you know, someone someone makes the joke that he, he can't sell plumbing supplies. Like, it's never going out of business. Toilets are never going out of business. And he still can't do it. Like, so he must be terrible and still making good, still making good money. Yeah. Can't he get another job if he's that terrible? It does, I mean, it does seem like a suck job. Oh, yeah. Traveling right? and doing that. Like, I, that does, doesn't seem like, it's like the totally cliche 90s thing of what would be a terrible job. Salesman, like a traveling salesman, a door-to-door yeah. salesman. Door-to-door sales. I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> sales in general is is hard. Yeah. And uh, Roy does not have that bone in him. No. He gives up too easily. That's his yeah. whole, like, shtick. He's... Yeah. If it's too hard, he doesn't want to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nowadays we'd probably uh, acknowledge that Roy is in a deep, depressive episode. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone would be clamoring for, like, this man needs help, and not just like, oh, look how funny he is. Yeah. At night, Daryl and his sister head off to stay at friend's house. Apparently it was a plan the kids devised so that their parents could spend some time together and fix their marriage. Roy, however, is consumed by a basketball game on television. So while his wife tries to convince him to go away for the weekend, or at the very least, open up to her about the current funk that he's in, he can't stop looking at the television. So she throws one of his old fencing tro- trophies through it, just like in the Office episode, The Dinner Party. <laughs> is that is that? It's an a fencing trophy in that episode, too? It's a Dundee. Oh, oh it's a Dundee. Dundee. Forgot about that. <laughs> That's a great episode, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I remembered the trophy. I was like, did they... Was that like a... A veiled Stay Tuned reference? Did he do a fencing trophy? Too? They just completely ripped off Stay Tuned for this, for that episode. Yeah. <laughs> Later tisk, in the night. Tisk. 
We see you in the office. Uh, later in the night, the man in the hat and coat shows up at Roy's house, offering him a great deal. Comes in and talks to him about a brand new television satellite system with a fancy remote. It's got 666 channels and 900 lines of resolution. Roy can't commit to it because he can't afford it, basically, not without talking to his wife. But then the salesman tells him that there's a free trial. So they're up and at him. They set it up with an enormous dish in the backyard immediately and then leave. The salesman drives off laughing like a maniac. How I assume a timeshare salesman laughs when you leave. And then drives down into a hole into the earth that opens up for him, which is normal. Then Helen comes home. I'm not sure where she was coming from at this point. And she gets pissed at the new TV system, so goes upstairs to pack. She's ready to move out. And then we get our first parody, Three Men and Rosemary's Baby. And then Sadistic Hidden Videos, which was a pretty funny sketch. That was so, that was kind of like depressing when I saw it. Because <laughs> that's what like life turned out to be with yeah. TV. It was just like, let's prank as many people as we can. And like they did it in radio. It, it took over all sorts of media. Just Man, a great prank. Is, yeah, yeah, your husband died. Yeah, that's a great prank. <laughs> it's a, look at Look at that. Did you see that thing across the street? <laughs> <laughs> and then the, you know, the woman, I guess, is in on the, the, the joke when she realizes, like, oh, this is a popu- popular TV series. And she's all laughing about it. I would have been furious. <laughs> I wonder how many people without the Candid Cameron reference or Candid Cameron. Uh, Jesus. Candid camera reference. It's not um, Candace Cameron. Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about uh, the other Cameron. Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron, yeah. God, I was trying to say candid camera. Reference <laughs> that we probably have would even get that joke. Yeah. I mean, I guess punked. I guess they could kind yeah, of I mean, punked and all their... And stupid YouTubers. I mean, yeah, but I think that's what it's devolved into, really. Yeah. TikTok. So then the reception starts to crap out, so Roy goes to into the back to deal with the dish, and Helen comes out to find him fiddling with it, so she starts hitting with the rake and then tells Roy that she's leaving him. And the satellite wakes up and sucks them both into it. And they wind up on a game show called You Can't Win. It's a standard game show with questions and answers. And the game reveals that one time Roy lied about car trouble so he could watch the World Series while Helen had a romantic dinner planned. Is Roy gay, maybe? (laughs) I don't think so. I think he's just... He just does not want to fuck Helen. Listen, now, I don't want you guys to point fingers at me here, but every... What's the what's the way of putting it? Even Jay Z cheated on Beyonce. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just because, like, yeah, Helen, you know, she's a smoke show here. Doesn't mean he's not tired of her. You know, it happens. I, I know what you're saying. The the I think the statement is like, you show me a beautiful woman and I'll show you a do- guy that's tired of fucking her. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but come on, Roy, you are you are clutching at straws to. Cr- of anything that resembles a normal healthy life in general and your wife and if the only thing you could hang your hat on is that i get to have consistent sex with a woman that's that's way out of my league you gotta grab that rabbit and kill it so it doesn't leave you (laughs) yeah yeah to to most people i think you're right right like it, it seems like it makes the most sense right i mean he He's a loser. Yeah. And he's got a wife who like, he could basically I bet he could be a stay at home dad. Yeah. Right. Like, and maybe Jay, that's Jay Z is going to find someone to fuck him. Right. right? Regardless. Ain't yeah. nobody fucking Roy. No. Besides <laughs> Mrs. Roy. Yeah. Yeah. That's 100 percent true. Yeah. Roy. Does, I, I'm assuming Roy doesn't have the pull that 
a world famous uh, rap artist has. Yeah. Roy's got to eat pussy. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been great if that's what they like broke down later in the movie. It was just like, man, I miss the way like you were a go getter and the the way you just went went to town on me. <laughs> oh shit. Really earning that uh that PG rating. <laughs> yeah. We then cut to the control room of the television company as Crowley, Eugene Levy, brings a new hire, Pierce, up to speed. We then see the salesman sitting down at the corporate desk in a suit. His name is Spike. He seems to be the director of whatever you would call television. On the monitors, he directs the Seidenbaums in a Godzilla ripoff where Mrs. Seidenbaum gets crushed and Murray Seidenbaum runs away. Everyone treats Spike like a genius, but Pierce, who is a recent film school grad, says the whole execution lacks subtext. Spike tells him that there's no room for subtext because they're, they're ultimately playing to an audience of one, the devil, and he only cares about the misery of others. We also got the rundown for the whole operation. Heaven and hell have come to an agreement, and hell has 24 hours to kill the people they manage to get in. If they do, their souls go to hell. If the person survives, they go back to Earth. Now, I'm curious. Isn't the whole—wouldn't it—it wouldn't matter who Spike is catering to. It, I mean, it's hell, right? Uh, he there so he says that they're specifically catering to the devil because he just loves to watch people in misery. Now, but who else, you're in hell? What are what other programming should there be in hell? Right? It should be pain and misery and torture and right. But the whole operation is to have like a gauntlet of sorts. Uh, they okay. don't own, they don't own those souls outright until they die. Gotcha. Oh, that makes more sense then. Yeah. So it's it's yeah because he does mention that it's only happened once where the souls have escaped. Yep. Okay. So yeah, you're not really giving them their fair shake. Yeah. We then cut back to you can't win and the final question, which is a trick question insinuating that one of them is cheating on the other. But Helen realizes what the trick question is and she gets the right answer. I won't bore you with the details. <laughs> back in the control room, Pierce asks about the contest and how long people usually last. Spike says no one ever survived, so it doesn't matter. And then Crowley corrects him, saying one guy did, and then insinuates that it was Spike's fault. So Spike's get, Spike gets mad at this and sends Crowley on some quote-unquote field work, as he calls it, and zaps Crowley with a remote control and sends him into one of the televisions. Meanwhile, the Nables get pushed through a door with TV static behind it and wind up on a wrestling show with ring announcer Captain Lou Albano. And they have to fight the Gorgons, including... Mr. Gorgon, played by one-man gang from WCW. While they bicker about whether or not Roy is threatened by Helen's success, the match starts, and Roy gets absolutely demolished by the Gorgons. Eventually, Roy gets tossed out of the ring, and then Mrs. Gorgon turns her sights on Helen. Gorgon tosses her around and winds up pulling out some of Helen's hair, so Helen grabs a mic stand from ringside and knocks both of the Gorgons out with it, and they win the fight. Apparently, this is a no-holds-barred match. I, I did chuckle. When when they met at the center ring and, and the referee's like, you do whatever you want to each other, maul each other, kill each other. I don't care. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Pam Dauber was five months pregnant during the filming of this movie, so they must have uh, very uh, creatively used the stunt double on the scene. Nice. Good for her. They then fall into a hole that opens up in the ring and move on to the next channel. Meanwhile, the kids come home and find the house empty. But they see the new satellite dish and TV. Daryl flicks through the through the channels and we see a few more parodies autopsies of the rich and famous northern overexposure and max hell commercial which is probably the commercial the joke that holds up the least yeah now what, what is the joke so mac uh, the, there's a maxwell commercial uh, okay. for like stereos and stuff as the guy sitting in the lounge chair in front of the stereo oh yes 
And then they just have his head basically blow off on this one. They, they kind of did that with the Simpsons, right? With the, 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 in the Simpsons, movies. The Simpsons did have a similar joke yeah. to it, yeah. That was the surround sound, right? There, there's So there's that and the THX right. uh, sound. It's a little like bit you're, different. Yeah. You're not listening or something like that? or Something like Yeah. Yeah. Roy and Helen find themselves in northern overexposure and in some version of Alaska in the wilderness. They come across Crowley, who is digging through the snow, trying to dig his way into a different channel. Then a pack of wolves show up and chase, chase all three of them into a nearby cabin. Back at home, Daryl finds a note on the fridge that says the parents had gone out for a while and they'll call to explain tomorrow. So Diane thinks it's the perfect opportunity to throw a party and tells Daryl to beat it. And Daryl goes outside and the satellite turns on and almost sucks him in, but it sucks up to his bike and then turns off. Diane goes outside to see what the hell he's up to, and she doesn't believe him when he tells her what happened. Back at the cabin, Crowley tells the Nables the whole deal and mentions they need to survive the next 15 hours. And he accidentally breaks off one of his fingers due to the cold. That's a good running joke, him constantly losing appendages throughout yeah. the movie. <laughs> I, I kind of thought, I liked how they used Eugene Levy in this. I thought they could have used him a little more. Because he he shows up a little bit too sporadically. Yeah, so he shows up here and then he doesn't show up again until the French Revolution. Yeah. Should I could have used another one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just... I, yeah, I think it could have been like, almost like the Divine Comedy, right? Where sure. uh, it's like Dante and the Angel, mm-hmm. where Eugene Levy kind of plays... It's um, I for, I you know I I tried to sound smart one time and I forget <laughs> who the angel is that leads Dante through the seven layers of hell. Yeah, I think it's Michael. We'll say Michelangelo. Uh, uh, it's not Michelangelo. But yeah, I, it would have been cool if like Levy kind of leads them through a little bit. Not always, but he just he shows up more often. Sure. At the house, Diane's friends come over and they all rush upstairs while Daryl investigates the television. And we get more parodies. 30-something to life and a commercial for a child muzzle called The Silencers of the Lambs. That was pretty pretty dark. (laughs) 30-something to life was a pretty good one. And then Meet the Mansons, a Leave with the Beaver type show with a young Chuck Manson. And Daryl's bike shows up on that show. So Daryl goes to tell his sister he thinks their parents are in the TV, but she blows him off. Then back at the cabin, the wolves have gone quiet, so Crowley decides it's safe enough to leave and jump through the conduit that he had uncovered. He opens the door and there's no sign of the wolves, but as he steps out, one jumps from the roof and attacks him, and then the others come from somewhere and start to maul him. Roy closes the door, in the ca- and in the chaos, they knock over an oil lamp and the cabin catches fire. So the Nables push against the wall, push against the wall, causing the cabin, which was really more of an ice fishing shed, to move. And they're able to push the shed over the conduit hole and jump through the as the wolves enter the cabin. I think this is the first time, and maybe it's just ignorance on my part, that I realized that those sheds would be very easy to move. Or I don't know. Or maybe maybe they're not, and that's part of the joke. I don't know. Um, I don't think it's particularly a joke. I th- I think they I I think if you have enough force, you probably should be able to push them. If yeah. they're on if they're on ice specifically. Yeah. Why wouldn't you be able uh, They're not nailed down or anything like that. Yeah. Maybe I thought they were nailed down. I don't know. It was just when they did, I was like, my, I just went, huh, okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't even want to pretend to know the first thing about ice fishing. <laughs> what goes into it? We'll have to ask Mythbusters. <laughs> right. And it never seemed particularly enjoyable. Right. Sitting in a shed on the, on a lake of ice. Yeah. I mean, fishing itself seems to be like minimally enjoyable. <laughs> I've never, I've never gotten really any enjoyment out of it. I, I've gone on like those party boats, and I fucking hated life being uh, out there. So I've been on a party boat, 
And I've been fishing. Fishing is a lot more fun than a party boat. I hated party. And I've gone multiple times. And I, each time I went, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> I've gone hungover. That was not fun. Were we together on that one? No. Okay. No. I can't I can't recall. But I, I've gone on multiple. And yeah, just... I can't imagine being hungover on one of those. God. Nope. That's, that, sounds, that sounds like hell. <laughs> That's pretty close. It's my <laughs> version of, uh, of one of these channels. <laughs> is anthony on the fishing network yeah <laughs> just constantly throwing up over the side <laughs> we're hunting blue fish <laughs> they probably attract fish right <laughs> you're chumming <laughs> <laughs> so they jump through the hole and they wind up as two mice in a tom and jerry type cartoon production of this animation sequence supervised by chuck jones himself and as a mouse uh as mice they have to evade a robotic cat Meanwhile, Daryl watches the cartoon and recognizes both of his parents in cartoon form. I do love the part where she takes out her wallet to show the pictures of the kids, and the kids are mice, too. <laughs> I was not expecting really that. Good. So he drags Diane down to look at the cartoon, but she laughs him off and goes back upstairs. The robot cat does a great job of destroying the house as it tries to kill the Nables. They manage to electrocute the cat by dropping a hairdryer in the tub, but because it's a cat, it has nine lives, so it boots back up like the Terminator. They seek refuge in a dollhouse where Roy finds his wife more attractive as a cartoon mouse than he ever does in the real world. Eventually, the cat finds them and they try to escape by driving a toy car. They drive with the cat in pursuit and discover the conduit portal in a mouse hole. This Helen goes, movie pr- uh, predicted the Lola Bunny yeah. uh, predicament that we find ourselves in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, you're a hot mouse. Like, oh, I, I can't jerk off to a, 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 an anamorphic bunny. <laughs> Make her sexy. Roar. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time he's ever looking at like, oh, I'm ready to go now. Yeah, that's yeah. He was really he was digging her. Yeah. We find out he has a mouse fetish. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem in their relationship. She won't dress up like a mouse. <laughs> she won't go furry. You will. You won't give in to my kink. <laughs> God damn it! You knew when you married me. <laughs> So Helen gets through the conduit, but Roy loses control of the car, and the cat blocks the door before he can get in. So then Roy uses cartoon logic and sends a letter to the Acme Company, and seconds later, the Acme Company drops off a robot dog, and the dog destroys the house, chasing the cat, and Roy manages to get through the conduit after that. So Daryl tries to find his parents on the next channel, and we are treated to what might be the best parody of the movie, Different Strokes, which is just two old men on a couch having two strokes. (laughs) But Ant, they're having different strokes. <laughs> different strokes. One's, one loses his sight and one can't feel his arms or something. Like it, it was so it was so dark. Oh man, bravo whoever wrote that one. That that I think the funniest part of that for me was watching the uh, the paramedics come in. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, holy shit, did they just die? <laughs> Oh, it's so it's so dark, but it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> you really it's so dark for that. a PG movie. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. A lot of the, I feel like a lot of the uh, the gags were a little dark, right? Because Three Men and Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, that's one of the, you know that's a pretty big horror movie. The Exercises. The oh yeah, the, the head turning. Yeah. There were so many. I, and again, kudos to them for really exploring the room. Yeah. Um, but holy shit, there was a lot. Yeah. And then My Three Sons of Bitches. 
Which is just a title card. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of title cards. You don't see a whole... Like, not every single one has a uh, an actual show. Yeah. And then he finds his parents on Saturday Night Dead in Dwayne's Underworld sketch. Roy is tied to a chair with a sphincter boy shirt on. And Dwayne and Garf terrorize him by slamming car- cameras in his face during extreme close-ups. Eventually, they try to get him with the hot poker and the eye cam. But he kicks it and winds up undoing the ropes, and he runs up the stairs to the conduit. He then winds up in a film noir detective movie, as does Helen. In the back of the control room, Spike is feeling the pressure, as the Nables only need to survive six more hours. And Pierce, whose first day on the job, gives him shit for it, too. Pierce is a little bit big in his britches for the first day on the job. Well, well, he's a film school student. Right. That's true. We're assholes. (laughs) He he definitely comes in... uh, Guns blazing, I'll say. And I'm, I'm sure, Anthony, you, you've seen your fair share, and I, I, I know I've seen my fair share of guys who come in thinking that they they could reinvent the wheel, you know? Sure. And this guy definitely exudes that energy. Yeah. Back at the house, Daryl goes outside and sees Diane and her friends practicing their cheer routine, despite the fact that he told his sister to stay away from the backyard. As the satellite starts to wake up again, he goes to the house and sprays all the girls with a hose and runs back into the house as the girls chase after him. After the girls leave, Daryl shows Diane the film noir and she recognizes her mom and starts to believe Daryl, finally. In the film noir, Helen gets taken hostage and brought to the Seidenbaum nightclub, where Murray Seidenbaum is hanging out and he says he never wants to leave. He also brought with him his remote, somehow. Some other gangsters show up to the club and try to move in on Seidenbaum's turf and start shooting up the place. I love with the reference or or whatever they went for here with that gun never running out of ammunition from mm-hmm. the, the guy that pulls out the two Tommy guns. Oh, sure. yeah. You know, you know, just like, oh, of course, in this movie, no one ever reloads. Except Roy's only got one shot. Yeah. <laughs> it makes everyone, it count. Yeah. Everyone takes cover. Murray gets shot, but gives the Nables the remote, and they get out of the movie. Meanwhile, Daryl gets an idea in order to take contact his parents by creating a transmitter from Diane's stereo, as she watches the TV to make sure that they don't lose her parents. Diane finds them in a mini-series about the French Revolution called Off With His Head. Helen and Roy are hiding in the streets of Paris as Roy is a marquee trying to avoid execution. Roy, by meanwhile, is in drag, and the remote is destroyed when they switch channels. And then Crowley shows up with fewer appendages than we last saw him, thanks to the wolves, but he's still in good spirits. He ushers them into a tavern and tells them to lay low until he finds a conduit portal. And he says they just got to survive the next two hours. As they hide out, Roy makes a promise to Helen that he's going to be different if they survive this. He's going to be the guy that she married, basically. So Daryl puts the finishing touches on the transmitter. Meanwhile, two French soldiers come into the tavern and are attracted to both Helen and Roy, Roy being in drag and sits themselves down and order more wine. As they're sitting there, the two guards get a little handsy, so the Nables go to leave, but one of the guards accidentally pulls Roy's wig off. And they arrest him and send him to the guillotine. They bring him to the gallows as he pleads for his innocence. Meanwhile, Daryl is hooking up the machine, and it's almost ready. He has a run-in with the neighbor dog in the process. As the guillotine goes up, Daryl beams his transmission into the channel, and everyone mistakes his voice for the voice of God. So Helen takes the initiative and says it is God and asks him to tell them to release the Marquis. And then Daryl complies and tells them to release it, him. It, and then the transmitter breaks and he can't transmit anything anymore. This this is one problem I did have. A child has the tech, the earthly technology to match the technology of hell. How does that work out? 
it was late 80s early 90s you know so like so stuff at your local radio shack is that what uh is that what hell's working with so if i get if i want to get technical what he does is he be he just creates a transmission which he beams directly into the satellite and the satellite like it sucks up the bike and his parents also sucks up the transmission so it's just take whatever transmission he's putting out anyone could have done it yep basically interesting he's just transmitting it into the satellite dish with the satellite dish is taking as it does everything else Mm. yeah my my reference was more towards the equipment he had it's just that time frame where every nerdy kid had this whole computer motherboard chip set up in his room and could rip out the guts of a stereo and use those pieces to build his transmission machine yeah but we've already seen him be able to do it in the beginning with trying to sell his Oh, they set it up in this sex movie. It's, it just seems sex like tape. trope back then. Right? He's he's marketing his underage sister's sex tape, more or less. If I'm the devil, or if I run the Hell Network, I'm getting him. Right? This kid, yeah. he's a smart kid. And he's and, got a questionable moral compass. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like he's already checked off that he's willing to pretty much like do whatever it takes to get ahead, you know. And yeah, it's you know he's gonna throw his family under the bus. You know, you, you got yourself a winner. Yep. Uh, Roy is released and Crowley celebrates as they've quote unquote beaten Spike back at the control room. The clock expires and Nables have officially reached redemption status. So Pierce gloats to Spike, so Spike starts to strangle him against the boardroom table, but then an exec comes in and tells Spike that they found a loophole. The contract was only for one person, so he technically only has to send Roy back. So Spike sends Roy back, leaving Helen in the French Revolution, and Roy gets spit back out onto the lawn. Spike's plan is to goad Roy back into the TV, and he's going to personally see to it that both of them die. So Spike beams himself into the French Revolution miniseries and absconds with Helen into a western, with her tied to the train tracks with a wagon full of dynamite behind her. Roy goes back into the TV and comes into the Western in the role of the man with no name. Spike shows up as the black hat and they have a duel, but Roy can't get his gun out of his belt and gets shot. But the shot hits his remote that was in his pocket and he surprises Spike with the punch. And they wrestle over the remote until Roy manages to change the channel and winds up in Star Trek in the next generation as Picard. And Spike is there as the villain of the episode, saying that their remotes are linked. So wherever... Roy goes, Spike will go. Roy manages to get the remote back and changes the channel to a crash test with Roy as one of the dummies. Just before it crashes, he beams out to a hockey game versus a whole team of Spikes. Then he beams out again to driving over Mrs. Daisy. That was pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Going back and forth. (laughs) As he watches a Jessica Tandy stand in get demolished by a car driven by Spike. And then a spike runs her over and back over and over again until he goes for Roy. And then he beams out to Three's Company, which is the most rewarding joke in movie history. And he immediately beams back out and winds up in a musketeer-ish film where Spike challenges him to a sword fight. But Roy doesn't have a sword and his remote is destroyed. So as Spike is going in for the kill shot, Daryl beams out one of his, Roy's fencing swords into the dish and his dad gets it. So Spike and Roy have a sword fight for a while. Both of them doing pretty well until eventually Spike's remote falls out of his sleeve, so they both struggle over it until they beam themselves into a salt and Peppa video. salt and Peppa perform as Roy and Spike try to retrieve the remote, which is being passed around from backup dancer to backup dancer. This, this scene goes on for a little bit too long. Yeah. It's a full song. It's a full song. Eventually, salt and Pepper hand deliver the remote to Roy, who uses it to sap Spike away. 
Now, and, question. Yep. Are salt and pepper in hell? It seems to be. <laughs> <laughs> but why? Why do they need to go to hell? I don't know. Uh, maybe it's it's maybe maybe hell doesn't have a music scene, so they also just play music from from Earth. Or are they trying to say they sold their souls to the Ooh. devil? Or maybe there's it's a race thing. Maybe this movie's secret racist. Oh God! It, like, there's, oh, no. there's so many. We <laughs> <I> found it. <laughs> Who knows? It could be anything. We have we have to get Salt and Pepper on the uh, the podcast and see what they say. <laughs> Uh, then Roy zaps himself back to Helen as the train is bearing down on her. The control room turns off the ability for the Nables to change the channel, but they are able to turn it off and are zapped, zapped out of the TV just in time. As they get spit back out of the satellite dish, the family reunites, and the neighbor's dog comes into the yard, ba- barking and snarling, but the satellite pulls the dog in and then self-destructs. The dog is brought to the Musketeer movie, where Spike is now hiding in a chandelier as the dog barks at him. And Crowley appears in a suit of armor and cuts the rope of the chandelier, sending it crashing to the ground with Spike on it. And then Pierce looks on, supposedly taking Spike's job. Then we cut to some time later. All this is behind them as Roy is now open to Fencing Academy. And Daryl, in voiceover, mentions that Roy only watches the show 60 Minutes. He doesn't watch TV anymore. Oh, God. <laughs> that made me, like, I shuddered when he said that. He only watches 60 Minutes. Ugh. <laughs> and then Freeze Frame Ending. As Roy practices his fencing as the kids leave. And then credits roll as we get some preview some previews of some parodies I guess they didn't have time for, including the David Dukes of Hazard, which is a fantastic way to end this movie. Yeah. <laughs> that that made me chuckle. That that was a really good one. And that is the end of Stay Tuned. Creative movie, pretty charming. It's a mile a minute in terms of the jokes that they throw at you in terms of the previews and the parodies. Some of them land, some of them don't. But I I had a, f- a fun time with this, revisiting this one. Yeah, for sure. It, it was definitely, as we said, it was very 90s. It had the 90s aesthetic. Uh, the, the, the television shows definitely mirrored the uh, pop culture landscape at the time. Yeah. And again, I just I loved how they really explored being in it in a tv it just it, it's not just a couple channels anymore it just there were so many channels that they could play with and they paid homage to and it, again with the threes company one really does pay off i'm glad they did it mm. and even though it's the most obvious joke it yeah. didn't need to be done right yeah. they could have easily have just glossed over it you know john ritter right you know that he's in that but they did it and then they didn't they didn't harp on it it was just yeah. a quick in and out. Yeah, it's like maybe four seconds. Yeah, it's great. It, it, it's definitely a good add-in. We've mentioned how great John Ritter was. He he's very lovable. I don't I don't think he's ever been in a a role where he doesn't have that that lovable aura, like that mm-hmm. lovable loser. He was he was great in this. He, I, again, I wish they could have used a little bit more Eugene Levy. I thought that would have been pretty cool. And we, I th- we didn't really mention Jeffrey Jones in this, right? As he plays Spike, and obviously questionable past personal life, <laughs> in personal life. But as in in the movies that he's in, I've always enjoyed him. Yeah, uh, he, he's he's very he's very funny in this. He's a very good antagonist. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I thought this movie, although it, it's not again, it, it's not it it's not a classic. No, but. I could definitely see it having cult status. Sure. Yeah, I definitely, 
I don't know what they would it would have done differently, but this feels like it could have. So I I've read that Tim Burton was offered to direct this, but he turned it down to do Batman Returns. But I could see like a Joe Dante, you know, kind of bringing that kind of the burbs kind of darkness to this. Yeah, that would have been cool. Stuff like that. I mean, I think Peter Hyams, he also was the director of photography on this, too. I don't think that this is movies lacking because of the director, but I think there is a sense of style that a Joe Dante has that I think he could have brought something to it. And obviously, Tim Burton's got his own in style. I don't know if he would have been right for this, to be honest with you. I don't I don't think this movie is better with the Tim Burton flair to it. Sure. Yeah, I, I do think it does. It does lack a an aesthetic in terms of just. Everything is just very kind of plain. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there's not a whole lot that sticks out. Even when they're in the, the the television, not a whole lot sticks out. But yeah, again, I don't think it really takes away from the movie that much. No. no I enjoyed myself. I'm glad this movie held up. Yeah. It was, you know, I don't regret watching it, which is probably the the bar for the movies that are chosen for, for this podcast. It was better than I was anticipating, and I should have known that with John Ritter being the star of it. But yeah, it was, I I think there were probably a few references I said earlier that probably would have gotten more, you know, if I watched it back when it came out in 92. But the ones they did make were fantastic, and I will probably continue thinking about different strokes for a long time, (laughs) because that was so good. And it took me a while to get what was going on until the title card popped up. And then it was one of those moments where I couldn't believe they were doing that in a PG movie. But yeah, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, entirely, entirely worth a, a, a watch if you're thinking about it. Um, just don't go in with expectations that it's any kind of like world beating movie. You know, it, it's just fine. It, it's charming. It's short. It doesn't drag too much. So, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. Great. Yeah, it's I got I am a sucker for these 90s high concept family movies. And this one's a good one. And I think that's all we got to say about this movie. You guys want to plug your shit real quick? Yeah, sure. The the three's company were the actresses, the the actual actresses. They They were not. No, they never even you never even see them in full. They're blurred with a short depth of field. I, I thought so, but I just, I don't know Three's Company all that well enough. Yeah, it was to... not Suzanne Summers. Okay, gotcha. Okay, uh, yeah, that that's it for me. Uh, I'll, I'll plug my shit. Uh, at Diaquino122 is my personal Twitter, and you could also follow our Real Play D&D podcast on Twitter and Instagram, at Stranger Damies. Uh, we offer uh, updates on when we're streaming, new episodes uh just and and random stuff as well we do we do our best but yeah follow us on there and uh, come chat with us so we have uh, stranger damies our dnd podcast airs uh, every other wednesday um be sure to check that out on um anywhere you get your podcast um we uh have a, a gaming podcast uh, the game vault pod airs every other monday um that's on instagram and twitter at game vault pod and then we stream at twitch.tv uh, slash uh, GameVaultPod, which is also where our live sessions of Stranger Damies airs. Um, so be sure to check that out. Um, we uh, stream on Wednesdays, Thursdays, um, every other Friday, uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. 
Um, so, um, yeah, come over, do like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And um, looking forward to, uh, you know, some some good D&D coming up. I think you guys are getting to a good part of, uh, of the current arc you're in. Okay, great. And we are They Call This a Movie. You can find us on Spreaker and wherever you get your podcast just by searching They Call This Movie. We are TheMainDamon.com. That's our main website. You can find us at TheMainDamon.com or on all socials just by searching The Main Damies. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search The Main Damien and we'll pop right up. We're also proud member of Geek Vibes Nation. You can find them at GVNation.com and on all socials and all podcast streaming apps just by searching Geek Vibes Nation. Tons of great shows. If you're into geek stuff, there's surely a show for you we're also on tiktok you can find they call this movie on tiktok just search they call this movie on your tiktok app and we will be there give us a follow and like our videos on there so we could get a following there uh, if you have any questions or comments you want to suggest a movie to us you can hit us up with a main amy at gmail.com it's our email account there and that's about all the ways you could get a hold of us um this has been stay tuned 1992 directed by peter hyams who was a repeater on this podcast so for dan aquino and mark myers this is anthony devecchio telling peter hyam well you certainly made a movie didn't you